Good evening. It's good to be back with you this evening. I hope everyone's had a good afternoon. Uh, if you got your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Psalm 27. That's going to be our primary passage for this evening as we study together. We've been looking at David and thinking about his life and the, the light that he shines ahead for us of Christ. Uh, and in looking at his life, one thing that we've seen is uh, that David is constantly on the run from Saul after being anointed uh, and after de- defeating Goliath and rising to such power, he's on the run. Uh, and during that time of struggle and suffering where he's just trying to survive, essentially, uh, in wilderness area, uh, in cities around Judah, even he, he even goes to the land of the Philistines to try to find someone. Throughout all of that time, we wonder what's going on in David's mind. David's one of those interesting characters in the Bible where we not only get to hear about his life from an outside point of view, just hearing about the events that took place in David's life, but we also have revealed for us in the book of Psalms many of his writings that show his heart and his spirit and and what he desires most. And that's what we're going to take some time to look at tonight. We're going to take a break from the story of David to look at the feelings and the thoughts of David, his mindset and his attitude that he has. I'd like to start off by looking at verse 1 of Psalm 27, where David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David here speaks of God and of his relationship with God and what God is to him. He says that God is three things. Light, salvation, and stronghold. And all three of those things, David uses that word, my. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. He he feels as though God is this for him. I want to take some time to, to read through the rest of this psalm as he reveals to us what he means by that and how we as well can call God our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. First thing we see is that God is David's light. You know, that's not a new concept for us who've studied the New Testament. We've become acquainted with the idea of God being light. It's mentioned many times in the New Testament. But do you realize it's not really mentioned much in the Old Testament? In fact, this is the only verse where God is called light. There's references to uh, heaven being an abode of light in Job. Uh, You know, he started off saying, let there be light. That was the very first command. Uh, There's several verses of God God turning darkness into light. And Psalm 36.9 says, in your light we see light. There's many implications to us that God is this image of glory and He shines like the sun, that He he exalts light, He sends out light, and He is full of light. But here David calls God His light. 
What does He mean by that? When we think about light and and the nature of light, we always think about the contrast. Darkness. Light overcomes darkness. When we were children, maybe many, if not all of us, were afraid of the dark at one point in our lives, right? Uh, you know, in my, in my house, we had this galley kitchen that ended with a utility room, and there was the back door in the utility room, and if it was nighttime, all those lights were shut off, and the trash cans in the utility room, you can't see in that room. And, you know, I remember making my sprints to throw stuff away and get out of there for fear of what's there. Right? We don't know what's in the dark. And that, that scares us. And that makes us afraid. And maybe rightly so. Right? You watch any scary movies, that's always what happens. Right? <laughs> the bad guy comes out of the dark. Well, now that we're adults, we fear different things in the dark. Right? I fear stepping on Lego at night. Uh, so there's, there's different fears for us. But still, there's dangers that are there because why? We can't see them. They may not be dangerous to us. If only we could see what's there. Here, David tells us God is His light. God is able to reveal for David where the dangers lie and teach David God's ways. This psalm is very interesting because it gives us these three things. The A, the B, and the C. The light, the salvation, and the stronghold. But then he talks about the stronghold, the salvation, and the light. So you're going to notice I refer to later on in the psalm and then I'll come back eventually getting to the middle of the psalm. That's the way that he did it poetically. So in verse 11, he describes how God is light. He says... Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. David is in a struggle for his life as those around him have talked evil of him and he doesn't know who they are, but he wants God to show him the way that will keep him alive. He wants God to be his teacher. Think about that for a second. Imagine God as David's teacher. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Sounds like a great thing to have. I mean, what do we look for in a great teacher? We look for someone with experience, with wisdom, with knowledge. Who has more of that than God? Who has seen more men fail than God has? There's not anybody. As David is going to be on the struggle for his own life, As he's struggling to survive, he looks to God and says to God, Teach me your ways. What an amazing thought for us. Teach me your way. Wouldn't we like to know what God would do for us in all of life's circumstances? Wouldn't we like to know how God would have us respond to the trials in life? We opened up His Word this morning and we learned a little bit about that, didn't we? That's what we learn as we open up the Word. 
But God is teaching David in a very unique way. You remember how David is allowed to rise and then he's allowed to fall and then he's surrounded by those who are destitute and he's learning through that to become a shepherd of men. And last time we looked at Nabal. And what does he learn from the the incident with Nabal? (coughs) Don't seek judgment or justice from your own hand. Let the Lord be the one who judges. There's things like that that God is uniquely teaching David in his life. And we also can learn from our life experiences as our suffering produces in us character and eventually we we become more and more like God. Notice also that David asked to be put on the level path. You gotta think about Judah. Judah is mountainous region, it's hills and valleys all over the place. So as David is running for his life from Saul, you've you got to imagine him going up hills and down hills, trying to escape from Saul and just staying alive. And as you're going down hills, you're, you're going to be in danger of stumbling and falling. As you're going up hills, you're going to be in danger of exhaustion to the point where you can't move anymore. And David asked God to put him on a level path. But that's the literal. And whenever we're looking at this poetry, we see figuratively. David's life has been a roller coaster. He wants his life to just calm down. He wants to find the way that allows for him to rest. And that's what God can do. He can shine a light for David to show him the way to escape trouble so that he doesn't risk falling or exhaustion in his own life. If God is our light, we can find salvation from our enemies around us. We can find the level path that we can go down. We can have God teach us His ways. The second thing that David mentioned is that God is David's salvation. God is David's hope when he is in trouble. Uh, one of the texts that we didn't really go over in back in chapter 23 shows David narrowly escaping from Saul. And it's so close that David is almost caught. Saul is about there on top of him. And a messenger comes from Israel to Saul and says, the Philistines are attacking Israel. And Saul is forced to go back and to fight a battle against the Philistines. David is saved, it seems like, at the last second in that instance. But David has been saved countless times before that. David is saved over and over again by God throughout this this story of David that we've been studying. Is it any wonder that David has such confidence that he says in verse 1 as we've read, Who shall I fear? God is his salvation. God is the one who will save David from his enemies. But notice something about David. David still prays to God. 
He's been promised by God that He would be the next king. He's been anointed. He has been promised that in the future. And yet He still turns to God in prayer. Look at what He says in verses 7-10. through Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. David points to God as his salvation by mentioning his own prayer to God. The way that he speaks to God is interesting. Is it, isn't it interesting that at the first of this psalm, he says, The Lord is my life. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? Is he confident in the Lord? Well, it seems that way. But we get to verse 7 through 10 and we see him crying out to God, asking God for salvation, asking God for help. Is David confident in the Lord or not? We see this prayer and we wonder, he's crying out in desperation. Does he not think that God's coming? We notice that David is confident, but he's not too proud to take his request to God. David is confident, but he's not going to assume anything. Whatever trouble David's in, he's going to turn to God for help. He doesn't assume just because I'm the Lord's anointed and because God has told me I will be king one day that God will have to save me from all of my enemies. No, David takes the time to turn to God in prayer. How easy is it for us to to get confident because we know we're God's children. We know that God already knows the things that, that is going on in our lives. God knew everything going on in David's life. And we might think, well, God already knows, so I don't have to turn to Him in prayer. And we allow our prayer life to slip and we don't go to God and take our needs and our requests to God like David did. What we see in David is a desire to speak to the Lord, to let His requests be known to God and to wait on His salvation and to expect it. But still he cries out fervently to God. It's also interesting that David talks about being forsaken. David asks God not to forsake him. You think David is aware of his sins? Whenever we look at the story of David, it seems as though he does a great job that he is a man after God's own heart who does not sin. He does great things all the way up until chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. But David is aware of his sins. And David asks God not to forsake him. God has forsaken Saul because of Saul's sin. But the problem with Saul is what we see is not apparent with David. David doesn't have the same problem as Saul. David is repentant and remorseful, seeking salvation from God. 
noticing that God could forsake him, but recognizing that God is a tender, compassionate, merciful God. He goes to God for salvation and makes his request known to him. But also interesting in this text is, My mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What what does he mean by that? As a father, what would my child have to do before I would forsake them? Before I would allow them to die? Before I would hear them cry out to me, please help me, please save me. And I would say, no, I'm sorry, (laughs) you're going to have to die. No way. It would, it would take a huge amount of rebellion and sin before I would ever get into that, to where I would allow my own child to die. But God is going to be faithful even beyond the parent. Though my father and my mother forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. If you question David's confidence in his prayer, you see it here. Even if my parents would forsake me for what I've done, the Lord would still take me in. He's crying out for God. Desiring to see His face. And that that phrase, seek my face, your your face, Lord, do I seek, is saying that He is crying out for the attention of God, for the presence of God in His life. He's crying out for God to come and to be with Him and to save Him from His enemies. Because God is David's salvation and He is a stronghold for David. I want to think again about this verse. Verse 1. Notice how it's set up. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is a common way that parallelism is done in Scriptures. You see in the first uh, part of the verse, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's paralleled with the second. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Those first two are building to to the last. The third, the Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my everything. God see David sees God as the one whom he can turn to for everything in life. The one he can turn to and find security and peace. And repeated in the phrase is, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? David doesn't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. As he's fleeing for his life, He has no fear of his enemies who are coming after him. In fact, verse 2 says, When evildoers assail me to eat my flesh, a reference to them being like wild beasts, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. This is a psalm of confidence in God. 
confident that God is his life, his salvation, his stronghold. God is the one who will defeat his enemies, who will cause them to stumble and fall before him. God who is his hope. He will not be anxious, but he will be confident in what God can do. When David mentions God as his stronghold, a stronghold is a place where one can have a strategic advantage over the enemy. It's, it's a place that would have some kind of a substantial barrier between you and the enemy that the enemy could not cross or that would conceal you and keep you from attack so that the enemy would have no hope of ever successfully defeating you. That's what God is for David. God has secured David's life. How's David going to respond to that? Notice what he says about this in verses 4 through 6. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I forgot to put the text up there. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David asks one thing of God. And what is it? To see God's face. To see God's temple. To dwell with God. David's one thing is not that he would have the love of all the people, right? That's what Saul's one thing was. David's one thing that he requests of God is not that God would put him on the throne as king of Israel. That's probably what my one thing would have been in all his struggles. David's one thing is to have God conceal him in the stronghold of his temple. David asked for God to provide him with protection, to provide him with his presence, that he can gaze at the beauty of the Lord all his days. Notice how God's presence is not restricted to a physical place. If this psalm was written by David while he is on the run from Saul, you've got to remember that David's not going to the temple ever. He went to the temple one time with Ahimelech, the high priest. And what happens at Nob, at the tabernacle? All of them get slaughtered after that. The whole time David's on the run, he's not going to the feast days. He's staying away from that. But he's praying with a desire to be with the Lord. To be in God's presence, to have God dwell with him and to conceal him and provide him with the protection that he needs. All of David, all of his faith is in the Lord. 
He believes that having the Lord with him means everything. That is his one thing. That is what he seeks more than anything else. Is that what we're seeking? David provides words of encouragement at the end of the psalm. Verse 13 and 14, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This text provides us with the encouragement of David that he believes he shall see God. That he's seeking the face of God. He's seeking the temple of God. He's seeking the light, the way of God. And that God is going to provide him with what he desires now in the land of the living. So he waits for the Lord to provide that. What an amazing psalm for us to read and to study and see David's heart. And his one desire in life is for God to be his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. We can see Jesus in the psalms. In fact, we can see Jesus in a lot of psalms. You know, the words of David in the psalms... Those prophecies that come from David, David is also a prophet, are are mentioned more in the New Testament than any other book of the Old Testament. More references to Psalms than any other Old Testament book. We can see Jesus in this heart of David, in this attitude of David, in how David views God. Because in fact, Jesus is the God that David sought after. And Jesus is the man who would one day fulfill the heart and the passion of David and give it its true fulfillment. This is said about Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to His own people. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor through the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How amazing is it for us to see Jesus in this psalm as we see it paralleled in this text from John. Jesus is the one who allows us to behold the beauty of God. We get to do what David prays to God To see. We get to see it. Jesus is going to shine as a light for us. He's going to teach us the ways of God. He's going to shine as a light so that we can get away from the darkness and the dangers that are all around us. Showing us how to live for God. Jesus is that same example of David's faith. He has unwavering faith. 
in the promises of God. So much so that the Hebrew writer says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we look at Psalm 27, we pointed out David's great confidence in the Lord. It's the same thing as saying David's great faith in the Lord. David is a man of great faith. And so is Jesus. A life full of unwavering faith in the promises of God. Jesus is also the source of our salvation. He is the one through whom we have found salvation. He is the one who intercedes for us so that we can have salvation from every sin that we've ever committed or will ever commit in our life. Jesus is that salvation. As we cry out to God, now we say, in Jesus' name, forgive us, save us. Through Jesus, we can seek God's face, His presence, His attention, and enjoy God's stronghold. So how should we respond to this? Well, obviously, God needs to be our light. Jesus is shining as a light for us to understand who God is, what God wants from us, what our purpose is, and how we are to live for God. We don't have to go to the bookstore and find a self-help book to understand our purpose and to understand how to live a fulfilled life. We simply need to open our Bibles and understand what it says and understand what that means. And believe it. God has shown a light into the world for us all to understand more about who He is. Our salvation. We have a compassionate, a merciful, a loving, a gracious Father. When David prays to God, he doesn't pray like one who has a father who is waiting to crush him with wrath. He prays to the Father as one who loves Him and asks for His compassion and for His mercy. And we can pray like David. We can pray with confidence as David was boldly asking God to do what God wants to do. To be with Him. To forgive Him. To not forsake Him. To protect Him and be His stronghold. And God will be our stronghold. This life is only a small part of all eternity. As David prays to God that his life would be saved from his enemies, we now pray understanding that our eternal life is in the hands of God. And no one can take it away. Romans chapter 8, verse 31-34, through Paul said, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. What do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. No one. He goes on in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can sing Psalm 27 and say that God is our life, our salvation, our stronghold. God is for us. Who can be against us? No one. I will not be afraid of my enemies. God is on my side. If you don't have God... On your side. These blessings do not count for you. God has sent His Son to die to redeem mankind who has fallen in sin. And we must accept the gracious gift of God to receive the mercy and compassion that He offers. We must must be saved from our sin to glorify God with our life. If you're not praying to God, if you're not focusing on the love and the compassion that we have a God who wants to hear our prayers, to know that we love Him and that we care for Him and that we rely on Him, we need to make that change. But if you haven't turned your life over to Him and made Him the one thing in your life, you haven't been saved from your sins, you need to do that before it's eternally too late. If we can help you with that, please come as we stand and sing.